So often you'll see in a digital transformation journey, processes and systems disconnected from the people because things have been invested in for a long period of time. And, you know, understandably, those are really major scale changes. But if we map that and we understand that picture, we can then look at where the high value interventions are, where the high value changes can be made. So so I would say start from the human perspective, understand what people are trying to achieve, understand what their goals are and their motivations are, understand that from both the staff, the stakeholder, the consumer perspective. And then you can start to look at what are the interventions, the services, the products that we can put into that that will allow the right outcomes for people at different points. Hi, I'm Mike Green, a freelance user research lead and digital consultant based in the UK. Welcome to Understanding Users. In this podcast series, I chat with digital experts from a variety of disciplines, including user research, UX and service design, development and product management. And there's even a founder or two. I talk to them about how they came to be in their current roles, what they've learned along the way, and the challenges they face in designing and building digital products and services with users in mind. And while many of these conversations are recorded remotely, I'm also keen to get out into the wild and meet my guests face-to-face where possible. So in some episodes, you'll hear me prowling the corridors of UX conferences in different parts of the globe to get the views of speakers and attendees alike. These are intended to be relaxed, informal chats with professionals who are keen to share their experiences. So sit back and enjoy. And now a word from our sponsor. Oxford Insights are specialist researchers helping governments and public sector organisations around the world understand and harness technology for public good. From AI to data governance to business analysis, Oxford Insights take a clear, user-centred approach, co-designing projects with you to help define the problem, your approach to solving it, and what success looks like for you. Whether that's a new national strategy, a pilot programme, a network of like-minded people from around the world, a media event, or a startup accelerator. Their AI readiness index, which they've run for the last five years, or the human-centered design index that they launched last year, both help countries understand where they stand relative to their peers and how and where to start improving their performance. With 15 years of experience, credibility and global exposure, the team at Oxford Insights is the key reference point for those seeking to deliver public innovation and bring future policy issues to the center of government and the public sector today. To find out more about their work, visit OxfordInsights.com. So this time I'm talking to Ian Pocock, who is Managing Director of Research and Service Design at an organization called Transform. Hi, Ian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Good to, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Tell me a little bit more about kind of your role and, and Transform as an organization. Yeah, so Transform as a, as a business has, has been for about 20 years now. We've been come together as a merger of a couple of companies and then we've reformed and, and been part of a bigger group. As we've evolved, and as we've developed, it's become a much more end-to-end business. So thinking about that, still with that strategic thinking out front, but now with a, with a research function, which looks at market research, quantitative research, qualitative studies and what have you, with the service design part that, that, uh, that works together as a single practice which is looking at how do we solve those kind of complex problems? How do we, how do we understand what the, what the challenge is for a user or for a customer when, when a company is thinking about what do I need this new service to be? How does it need to work? How do I need to think about it? As I say, we are really trying to understand how to solve some of those complex challenges, particularly 
in the public sector where we work a lot, and the majority of our work being in the government space, how do we solve those for people? How do we actually turn that idea into a digital solution or a digital service that could be delivered to to the user or to the to the public? Mm. And without sort of obviously divulging client details, but what what are the kinds of challenges that your let's say public sector clients typically face in terms of transforming themselves as organizations into being more digitally focused and, and user-centric yeah so i mean i think i think from a from a organizational perspective it in in the public sector is how do we deliver this policy it's less immediately yes it needs to be some some of these services need to be digital first and that's that and that's the big driver but the initial question is always we have a policy of x how do we deliver that? Who, who will need it? Who needs this the most? How do we get that across to them? And tends to be, obviously, by the time it comes down to sort of the procurement routes and things like that, it's gone down a digital pathway already. But it still, it still has that overarching question, which is how do we deliver that? And that isn't always just a digital answer. That can be, well, we need to make sure we, how do we support people who are more vulnerable? How do we support people who might not be able to use digital services or don't want to use digital services. So, so we are thinking holistically about how we, how we provide the, the answers to those questions. So with a user-centric hat on, how, in your view, can a product team ensure that what they're working on, what they're building is, you know, has the user in mind, you know, in the most user-centric way? Yeah, so for, I mean, first and foremost, it, it starts with who are they? Who are the who are the people that we're talking about? And one of the things I think I'm I'm really huge proponent of within our within our business is thinking about people. You know, who are people? What are their motives? What are their what are the triggers that that, that are going to bring them to a service in the first place? What are their how do they identify themselves in terms of their their issues or their their challenge they're looking to solve or the opportunity they're looking to to take advantage of. And they will be influenced by a whole number of different factors, where they live, the people around them, the motivations they have to want to go on that particular, on that particular journey. And, and all those influences need to be taken into account. And we need to understand which are the biggest drivers of, those, of, the, of that decision making. By doing that, we obviously can create archetypes and personas and, and the actual the artifacts that come from that. But if we start off by understanding who something is for, why it is they want to use it, and what is it, what is their goal that they want to to achieve when when using it, we'll have a much better picture of the of the people that we're talking about, and then you can actually design for them. So, are we over-indexing with people who might need additional support for that service, like I talked about earlier with assisted digital or inclusive design thinking? You know, are we have we taken account of what their needs are? Unless we do that, and unless we talk about the the whole picture for somebody, then we're not actually going to design an efficient service. And there was a there's an example from from some time ago when we were when we were doing a piece for we were looking at sort of outpatient experience in hospitals, and we were thinking about how how are we communicating, or how is the how is the hospital communicating with patients about you know what might when they've got an appointment when they've booked an appointment to come to the hospital and and the reality was at the time they were sending out the same information to everybody which was quite a lot of information but trying to take into account all the different 
factors that some someone might be that might be affecting someone's visit. But that meant that people who didn't have mobility issues or mobility challenges were still getting that information as those aimed at somebody who did have a mobility issue. So there's relevance in the kind of material that, that, that needs to go out to them. And we were saying and through our through our work with them, we looked at who are you inviting for a, for an appointment? What are their situations? What do you understand about them? What's the what's the condition that they're coming in to talk to you about? What's the what are the issues that they're facing? And trying to trying to do that on a more personalised and contextual basis would be more effective for them. So if let's call let's say a, a, an organisation which was digitally immature came to you and said, kind of, can you help us? Excuse me, sorry. Just at the start of their kind of digital transformation journey, what kind of advice would you would you offer them? Yeah, so I think so. I think that. that there's two interesting things there. The, the first is, first of all, be user-centric or human-centric. We like to talk about human-centered design within our, within our team. And that is irrespective of whether you're talking about a digital program or whether you're talking about an offline program or whether you're talking about you know, multi-channel or omni-channel type service. So first of all, think, think about the human element. Don't just think about the end user of your service or the end consumer of the service. Think about the organization, the people who are delivering that service as well, or that product, because they are your greatest advocates and helping them and providing them with a way to deliver that in the best possible way, in the best pos- through the best possible channels, through the best possible touch points, will mean that the end consumer is getting a better outcome and a better, and a better service as well. So think about everybody involved in the chain of delivery of a product, an experience, a service, so that the person you want at the end of that to be consuming it has has everything is aligned in order to do it. So understand how it's going to be delivered. Understand who's doing the advice over the phone or online or the content that's being delivered to somebody. Understand what the processes are and the systems that are going to actually deliver. Don't dis- so often you'll see in a digital transformation journey processes and systems disconnected from the people because things have been invested in for a long period of time. And, you know, understandably, those, those, are, those are kind of really major scale changes. But if we map that and we understand that picture, we can then look at where the high value interventions are, where the high value changes can be made. So, that, so I would say start from the human perspective, understand what people are trying to achieve, understand what their goals are and their motivations are, understand that from both the staff, the stakeholder, the consumer perspective. And then you can start to look at what are the interventions, the services, the products that we can put into that that will allow the right outcomes for people at different points. Mm. And as an organization starts on that journey and has digital teams working, whether it's in a discovery phase, kind of doing research to understand the problem space, or whether they're in a more experimental phase, let's say an alpha building prototypes to test. One thing which always interests me is how, in your view, should those should the insights be shared and surfaced? Because as we all know, if, if that stuff's kept in a silo and is not shared across the organization, the likely out, successful outcome is kind of minimized. So, so what, what, you know, from, from the work you've done, how would you suggest that that work be surfaced? Yeah, so I, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of the both the virtual and the real walls in offices and where we work so that we have we have the material up we make them very visual we make the we we don't just wait until the very final 
piece is done to unveil it in sort of in its glory and say here we go here it's finished actually take people on the journey as you as you're building those blocks so if you're starting for a really good example we talk about archetypes or personas earlier on you don't have to wait till you've got the finished persona up on the wall you can start with the you can start with the kind of the rough the rough sketch of, of who it is we're talking about and then invite people into the process to do ad hoc walkthroughs schedule walkthroughs or do demos and obviously within we kind of the agile ceremony world we've got our our stand-ups and our show and tells and what have you that allow people you know, people to be invited in but i'm a big fan of the idea of of, of walkthroughs and having people commenting on what they see in the picture and in case you've misunderstood something that comes back and also as we know in research you know there are there are things that you'll you'll get within research which actually when you then look at how people do things in the real world are actually slightly different or they're not they're not as you know as you've interpreted them or as you've analyzed them and having people who are delivering things people who are working directly with with the end user or the end consumer They'll give you immediate feedback, which is brilliant. And they'll say, actually, that's not how it happens. And you'll be able to then go back into your research or you'll be able to go back to the person you interviewed and just try and clarify something. So those those ad hoc moments are really valuable. But it starts from the basis of making sure as much, you know, you've got it all in a place in a space that people can look at and people can comment on and people can feedback on. And then you align the ad hoc, as I say, the sort of walkthroughs or demos with those kind of formal agile ceremonies that go through a project and that i think gives you a pretty good transparent perspective for how to deliver it but don't be don't it's definitely a case of don't wait for the final flourish to unveil everything because at that point you then start to get comments and you're really trying to unpick things rather than actually building things up together yes yeah no absolutely Tell me about your career, Ian, a little bit more, because I think there's some journalism going back a few years, back in the day. Tell me about your journey from where you started to, to, to where you are now in digital. Yeah, absolutely. I started out in newspapers. I worked, I had a, an agency which focused on doing news and sports journalism for, for newspapers in the, back in the 1990s and going through to the early 2000s. Um, I then joined the BBC. Joined the BBC World Service in 2003 and worked in BBC news gathering and, and news programs for several years after that. And then towards the, the end of that decade, I, I joined a company called Digital Public, which was the forerunner to transform. And Digital Public, as the name would suggest, was all about digital services or digital solutions within the, within the public sector, within the government space. And at the time, they were they were looking for somebody who had experience of of content and had experience of, of digital media. And one of the things that for all the for all the sort of talk about how the media's progressed on in different areas, one of the things the BBC was very good at was investing in digital technology, investing in what we now know as the BBC website, investing in News Twenty Four channels and, and digital editing and things like that. So I'd had quite a lot of experience of of being prototyping those services and, and helping with those within just the world that I was living in at the time. And so that was very relevant to the work I was being asked to do there. And then I've stayed with that company, Digital Public became Transform. We became part of the engine group at the time before now 
being part of the next 15 group under the under the name of, of transform so i've been with that business for 15 years right so what would you say energizes or excites you about what you do at the moment and on the flip side what kind of frustrates or challenges you today so i think i think the the excitement at the moment for me is that we are we've sort of been through we've been through a world where quite rightly government focused on transactions, there's a lot of focus on how do you digitalize those key transactions within within the government space to make them more efficient, deliver them more relevantly to the user. We're now sort of having done a lot of that. We're now looking at some really big strategic questions for how do you deliver public services and how do you give people a better experience of engaging with government, be that nationally, be that locally, and how do you make those services much you know, delivered in a much more contextual, relevant way. So because we've got those, that is a real excitement for me where we can look at some of those major challenges, which is how can digital improve the lives of people in a way that they want to access, in a way that will allow them to get more from it. And making that, making those digital experience just sort of smoother and easier to engage with and more supportive rather than Simply, we are building websites, or we are, you know, we're we're trying to develop just the front end, or we're trying to develop one part of the journey. I think the idea that that, that we can do that in government is a really exciting time, certainly within the public sector. Within the private sector, I think there is a huge movement, certainly within the space of research and service design, where that's being picked up more and more and more in different in different places and it's and it's really exciting to have conversations with clients of ours where we're talking about how to, to embed design thinking into problem solving how to use different tools and techniques from the human centered design and service design space to allow them to think about solutions in different ways so really thinking about how people want to use those products and services and i think i think it's i think Technology allows us to have a, a tremendously exciting moment, I think, for us. And on the flip side, tell me about the things which challenge or frustrate you in. I think, well, I mean, inevitably, in terms, of, in terms of challenges, it's trying to keep up with everything, right? Inevitably, as you think you've mastered something or you've got to grips with something, something else comes along. And be that open AI, be that chat GTPT or whatever it happens to be, that you're then having to... You're then having to kind of keep up with and, and that's all it's not so much a, a frustration or it's probably more of a frustration with me that i that, that i haven't i haven't caught up quickly enough so but so i think those those are the challenges and and within that in in kind of a in all seriousness with things like ai within within things like the sort of the the, the arms race of ai we seem to be in at the moment i do think there are quite significant ethical questions that need to be looked at and we need to be considering we need to be considering in our design and it would worry me if we don't have that thinking in and we just accept the the the, the amazingness of the technology but we don't also put the thinking into what's the right you know where are the boundaries here and particularly as designers and researchers that we are understanding why we're doing things and we are then designing things with a with a thought in our head of what's the potential benefit, but what also is the is the flip side of that. And what about 
where we go next in terms of kind of user experience, in terms of service design, user research, how do you see those various disciplines or kind of strands of a similar discipline evolving? How do things evolve? I mean, for example, boot camps are popping up all over the place and there's a lot of discussion around the role of boot camps and, you know, should people be, can they deliver value? You know, you can't, can you teach someone to be a UX designer in four weeks or eight weeks or 10, 12 weeks or whatever it is? I'm just interested to know kind of what, what next for, for, for UX as a discipline? Yeah, so, so I think we need to, in terms of the, the discipline of research and design, we, we need to be thinking about, we need to be making sure that the people we're bringing in to companies, to businesses, to organizations are really thinking about their, the knowledge they bring, the expertise they bring, and the perspectives that they bring as well. It's really important, in my view, that we have, when we're, when we're building teams and when we're establishing teams, we have a range of perspectives and that can be backgrounds, that can be views, that can be, that can be skill sets. It, it, it's about the experiences that people have had that are then brought to that product. The, the worst way I think we can design products is sort of homogeneity. You know, the most important thing we can have is a range of experiences, perspectives. People who've, who've, who've worked in different places, come from different backgrounds, have, have those different thought processes because that will allow us to then reflect on our designs and reflect on our UX and reflect on our thinking to make sure that what we're doing is we're designing in a way that is relevant to, to different people. And if what we're doing is thinking about things in a, in a kind of homogenous way, because we've all kind of been down the same path, I think that is, I think that's fine to a point, but I actually think you present much bigger risks of not really getting under the skin of what we're trying to achieve within a, within a particular service and, and making sure that we are, we're doing the right things. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as a father of, of two young children, I think what I'm more and more interested in is, you know, the, what schools are doing about this and the education system. And I know coding is now almost becoming part of the curriculum in some schools and the sort of efforts to embed it a bit more. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, preparing kids. It's a cliche to say preparing, preparing kids today for the world of tomorrow because it's, yeah, their world will be very, very different from the world that you know, we who can remember life before email. Yeah. <laughs> Off there. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. It's video killed the radio star, isn't it? It's sort of the it's the it, we, everything that we everything we've kind of grown up experiencing. They'll be they'll have a complete different kind of journey and, and path that they go on. And I think having training, having considerations of the technologies, you know, having relevant courses, you know, be that GCSE, A levels, vocational courses, whatever the whatever the journeys are, making sure that there is a availability of people to to understand and learn and and develop those skills that are relevant for this market because i mean it's not if you'd ask someone kind of say 15 20 years ago about the industry of design thinking or the industry of of user research specifically Mm. not so much the industry of research but user research People, some would, some would have been very steeped in it, and they would, have, and, and that would be very, much, they'd be very familiar with it. Others would sort of not be that familiar with it. So, in in that short period of time, you know, the the, the growth of research and user research and service design and human centered design has been has been quite phenomenal. And and you know, where it will be in 10, 15 years further down the line, we will be needing to think much more around obviously data. Data will be far more part of how we how we design 
and use use our use our research how we think about data modeling and how we think about analysis that allows us to to take stuff forward into the next you know to understand what people are going to want to do or want you know going to want from these services but i still don't think it gets you away from the need that we need to be research and designers need to be excited about asking questions mm. they need to be curious about why people want to do things and they need to want to engage with people and speak to people and and, and that will still hold true in yeah 15 20 years from now totally agree and it's this fascinating interface between humans and technology and as the two kind of become more and more aligned or overlap um but yes humans asking questions is critical yeah. right last thing in got a challenge here we go pick a card the jack of spades the jack of spades yeah. is a technique so what's your maybe yours something you've seen someone else use in any sort of aspect of your work something that you you find useful or relevant or valid so as, as everyone i'm 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 a, a total evangelist for a for a technique called Lego Serious Play. Right. So I don't know if you come across Lego Serious Play, uh, but yeah. I everyone everyone I work with will sort of roll their eyes because I've said I've talked about Lego Serious Play again, but I will yeah. because I think it's it's a fantastic fantastic technique to be able to bring a group of people together to look at a major problem, a major question that they're trying to answer. And they are able to, and it doesn't matter whether you're the the CEO or you're someone who's just started, you can both be in that process, that 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 technique, and you can both have and you're you will find confidence in the fact that you are building models. And the models in the idea of Lego series play is that you use the power of play and the power of metaphors to be able to tell stories about your perspective. So if you're asked a challenge about you know what you want to what's the next product going to be for my for my organization <coughs> people can people don't have to feel that they're having to stand out people don't have to feel like they're having to stand up and, and disagree with someone more senior or or, or the, those who might not be as confident about speaking in, in, in big meetings don't have to do that what they can do and what what the whole process is about is through questioning and understanding and then building a model and ultimately the model is your story so that is what your perspective is on something and then you talk and you present that model back to the group and i've seen it work where we've done we've done sort of events in europe in in, in different languages and people have been people have all got and kind of coalesced around the around the idea of around the idea of the model and you have the most senior figures in the organization you have stakeholders from the local uh, community you have you know, other people from the organization and everyone is able to get involved in thinking about the new ideas and thinking about how they can take that forward so i just think it does as the kind of lego series play mantra goes it, it turns meetings into 100 percent active meetings mm. so rather than the sort of the 80 20 of people leaning back as more more dominant personalities get involved in those meetings you're able to keep everybody in because everybody builds, everybody has a story, everybody answers a question of whatever it's about. And I think it's a tremendously powerful technique for kind of democratizing and engaging people in, in difficult conversations and, and big strategic questions. Yeah, I like that. 
More Lego. That's what we need. More Lego, yes. My eight-year-old son would love to hear you say that. <laughs> have enough. Right. Queen of Diamonds. Queen of Diamonds is a trend, Ian. Tell me about a trend you something we haven't touched on already. Yeah, I think in, in terms of in terms of where we're going, one of the big trends that I've seen recently, and it and it isn't necessarily won't be a big trend to the people that work in this space, but I think it's really interesting from a from a design perspective. And that's content design and content strategy. We as an organization have set, have been building up our content design practice over the last 18 months quite significantly. And I think it's a really important growing trend when you think previously what would happen is we do our discoveries, or not we, but the world would do its discoveries, and then we would go into building something, and then we would then we'd add some content into the design and the delivery of the service, and, and then it would iterate as you as you rolled out the service. There was a really big trend from my perspective in bringing that further up the further up the chain. So so it is in that discovery phase, and we will always look at using content strategists to think about think about how we're going to frame the material. Are we are we designing directional content? Are we designing supportive content? What's the level of information? There's, and when it comes even to application forms, having a really good content strategist to think about the flow of that application form at discovery, I think is absolutely worth their weight in gold. Yeah. And again, it's where I suppose GDS standard and the government approach to things, having content designers as a separate kind of role. Absolutely. In really powerful. Yeah. Great. Last one is the ACE, and that's a tool. So one of the so we do a lot of work around behavior change and behavioral insights, and I think one of the one of the most influential tools that I've that I think is out there, and we've certainly used is the behavior change wheel, which was developed by Susan Mickey and Robert West and, and the folks at, at UCL. And why I think that's a really great tool is it thinks about the different dynamics of behavior change. When we're trying to design a product for somebody or a service for somebody that is trying to shift behavior, and we, we were involved in the work for Public Health England, which was looking at, which was looking at changing behaviors around smoking and alcohol consumption and diet and exercise. And one of those tools was Couch to 5K that, that, we, that was, we built. And I think and the behavior change was very much part of that, was part of that sort of thing. It's a fantastic tool because you're not just thinking about the individual, but you, which is what you are starting with. So you're starting with their capability, their opportunity, and their motivation to to shift the behavior or to or why their behavior is as it is. But you're then thinking about the dynamics around it, the systems and the environmental impacts or the the environmental aspects of the influences on those behaviors, and by Looking at looking at something through that lens, you are then looking what are the right interventions and what are the right ways of communicating that intervention to somebody, so that it allows them to, or you can design a service that helps and supports and empowers somebody to make the behavioural change they want they want to make. So, I think that's a fantastic tool, and would definitely advocate people either reading the publication on the behaviour change wheel that, that, that they've written. Or uh, or just familiarizing themselves with it because I think it's a great way to, to look at things. Sounds Final question for you, Ian. Where can people find out more about you and about the work of Transform? So the transformuk.com website is, is is our website and people can find out all about the company and about the different work that we do there, various case studies and various examples. We're, we do a lot of 
posts on LinkedIn and, and other sorts of tools. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Understanding Users. If you enjoyed what you heard, do please like or comment wherever you're listening and feel free to share this episode more widely. And feel free, of course, to drop me a line with any feedback via LinkedIn or my website, researchable.uk. Thanks as well to our sponsor, Oxford Insights. Join me again next time when I'll be sharing some more insights from digital design professionals. Until then, stay safe and stay user-centred.